We are in the middle of the annual week of prayer for Christian unity. And so it's a matter of some irony, however predictable, that immediately before this week of prayer for unity began, our brothers of the Roman fraternity established something called the Anglican Ordinariat. And they received in England some former Church of England bishops into this ordinariate and ordained them as priests, the first time not being okay um, in some way. And the presenting issue for these bishops, these former bishops, I guess, uh, was that they didn't believe there ever could be such a thing as a woman in Episcopal orders that could be within the intent and purposes of God. Now, we don't need to rehash arguments about the ordination of women. I'm with Mark Twain on this one. You, you know that story. He's, he was asked if he believed in infant baptism. He said, heck yes, I've seen it done. You know, it's a, it's a, you know. There's, some, there's something to be said for the reality that Christian life is lived out and made visible in practice, and that it's the practices of faith over a long period of time that, that shape us and, and uh, in fact, shape our, our beliefs. Uh, my purpose in mentioning all this is to remember that whatever Christian unity is, it's not going to be about intellectual agreement. It's not going to be about common assent to doctrine. And that is fundamental to the Church of Rome, which is why there's no irony for them in doing what they see as an act of unity, bringing people into the true fold. Are you with me? Um, now, we don't, we don't get up in the morning, I suspect, worried about Christian unity. But what we do worry about are those people in our families who violently disagree with us or think we're wrong or that we think they're wrong. Actually, we know they're wrong, you know. <laughs> and, and there comes a point at which we have to say, would you rather be right or would you rather be related? And, and sometimes with those people, being right feels pretty good. But it's not, it's not the best answer when we're talking about the practices uh, of faith. What we've said... Uh, for a long time is that what's necessary for any kind of union between churches is acceptance of Scripture as containing all things necessary to salvation, the sacraments ordained by Jesus, baptism and Eucharist, the, uh, the, 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 the ancient apostles and Nicene creeds, and the controversial one is the historic episcopate locally adapted. Now, I look for unity mostly in practice, in, in the practice of reasonable and holy hope. And it's in that light that I understand something of what St. Paul is saying when he's talking to the Corinthians about unity. I understand there's arguments among you, brothers and sisters, but what you need to remember is the cross. For us who perceive God's hand at work in the world and in our lives, the cross is the power of God. It looks like foolishness. It looks like ignominious defeat. It looks like the execution of a common a prisoner uh, to the world, but to those who see God's hand at work, those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And recognizing the power of God in the cross is foundational for our reasonable and holy hope. We're not going to agree exactly about what that means. But what we are going to do is practice hope. And I want to talk a bit about what hope is and what hope isn't. Because hope can look very like things that aren't hope. A uh, chap called Robert Coles, great child psychologist, um, who at one point was at Emory and I understand attended worship here when he was in Emory early in his career, 
in one of his books, he used the phrase, children of entitlement. And it's very useful. He talked about this and how entitled, this growing up with a sense of entitlement can, of course, be a bad thing, mostly in the fact that, not least in the fact that it makes you obnoxious. But it can also be a strength, because if you grow up with a sense of entitlement, it means there's nothing that can't go, come your way. It means there's nothing you can't do. It means you can achieve remarkable things because it never occurs to you that you can't. It never occurs to you that there are limits. That's for ordinary people, not for people who are entitled. And so it can start positively channeled. It can look very like hope, but it's not quite the same thing. It, it can lead to wishful thinking. I deserve to go on holiday, or I deserve to go out to dinner, or I deserve to spend a fortune on clothes or having my hair done or whatever it is, regardless of what other obligations I've got. So swipe that credit card because, of course, I'm meant to be able to do these things because I've worked hard and so on and so forth. And then suddenly, the debt comes payable. You wind up with a, a credit problem. That often comes out of a sense of entitlement. It's not exactly always a good thing. And hope is quite different. Reasonable and holy hope is not an interior matter. It's not primarily a feeling. Uh, it's not even primarily an attitude, although that gets a little closer to it, an attitude of something that we do over time. Hope stems from the belief that God is already at work, bringing about all the things we look for, peace and justice and right relationship, salvation, and that we taste the first fruits of that, and we are part of something that has already begun, but is not yet fully manifest. And, and we believe God's already begun the work of unveiling the mechanisms and powers of this world by which we do each other harm and make us live in ways that are diminished versions of the people we were created to be, the people afforded real dignity in creation. And we express this hope over a lifetime by doing things that just don't make sense in the world any more than the cross does. And so you think about something like fasting. Fasting doesn't make a lot of sense. It's, it's, it's foregoing things that we imagine we need for life and remembering what really matters. Another thing that doesn't make sense is generosity. Giving money away is a practice of hope that says, no, there's something really more important going on because in this kingdom of God that is being unfolded, that is in our midst, uh, there is enough for everybody. And we believe that what we have is not at some level, is not really ours, but that we're stewards of what's entrusted to our care. And that makes no sense at all to the world. No sense at all to someone who's purely operating out of a sense of entitlement. Or, or the one that's perhaps the most strange is forgiveness. We practice forgiveness, even when it's really, really hard, even when we can't do it. We know it makes some sense because at some level, we know that we've been forgiven. Now, someone who's entitled to things might uh, fast as part of a diet regimen, fast for some greater purpose, for improvement, self-improvement, or might give money away, and there's nothing wrong with having largesse and engaging in the community and giving back and doing those sorts of things. But it's not quite the same as understanding yourself as a steward. But this forgiveness piece makes no sense at all if you know that you really haven't done anything particularly wrong. You know, I was meant to make that putt, so I'll just count it, even though it missed. You know, <laughs> because 
really, it was meant to be good. Uh, I, I judge others by their actions. I judge myself by my intentions. And so, so I've, I, I didn't really mean to get in trouble, and therefore I don't really need forgiveness. Are you with me? I'd like to get off. I'd like the problem to go away. But, but I don't really get this forgiveness thing if I'm entitled. We who perceive God's hand at work in our lives know something of our need for forgiveness. And that's the source of our capacity to aspire to forgive others. It's a practice of hope. It's founded and rooted in something other than entitlement, something other than intellectual agreement, something other than being right or wrong. It's the hope that allows us to proclaim our trust every week in one holy Catholic and apostolic church in the face of man manifest uh, denominational division and disagreement and separation. It's that same hope that brings us around the Lord's table. It's a practice that says, I'm around that table with people who may wish me ill. I'm around that table with people who I may think, in fact, no, are wrong. I'm around that table with all manner of humanity, believing that the power of God is at work in all of us. Now, those who believe that you've got to assent to doctrine before you can come around that table will never agree with me. But, but still, the point is being around the table and knowing that God is at work. And what that means is we can relax about dear aunt so-and-so who knows we're wrong or thinks we're going to hell. A friend of mine was at a funeral last week and, and the, the preacher made very clear at the funeral that you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. And you're going to heaven if you agree with the preacher. Um, it sounds a bit like hell to me, but, <laughs> the, but we can relax when we are rooted in this reasonable and holy hope that is founded in the perception and belief and experience that God is at work unfolding something good for the world unfolding something essential for us. We see it perhaps in the cross, remembering that message about the cross to us for being saved is the power of God. Let us pray in silence and respond to the good news. We've been granted grace to receive the hope that is the foundation of our practice for life.